got a Bible with you, you might like to turn to uh, the parable of the Good Samaritan, which is in uh, Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10, and I'm reading from uh, verse 25. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbour as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbour? In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. When he fell into the hands of robbers, they stripped him of his clothes, beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite. When he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he travelled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said. And when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbour to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that in your word we discover marvellous truths about you and about your kingdom and about the way things work. And we pray that this morning, as we look at this familiar story, uh, that you will give us fresh insights, that you will challenge our minds and our hearts as we look to you And that you would speak into our lives and into our situations. And that you would bring about that change that is needed in each one of us. So speak to us today, we pray, through the power of the Holy Spirit working in each one of us. In Jesus' name. Amen. The parable of the the Good Samaritan is, uh, it must be one of the best known stories that Jesus told, mustn't it? And uh, uh, even people outside of the church uh, have probably heard of the parable of the Good Samaritan. Uh, but sometimes there's a problem, isn't there, with, uh, with well-known stories. Uh, Tom Wright, the uh, Anglican bishop and uh, prolific writer of books, says, The best-known stories are sometimes the hardest to understand. The Good Samaritan has passed into folklore and has succeeded confusingly in changing the meaning of the word Samaritan itself in modern English. 
There is a well-known organisation called the Samaritans, whose task it is to give help to people in the direst of need. But that certainly wasn't what people would have meant by the word in Jesus' day. That's why uh, we did that uh, identity parade this morning with those uh, strange-looking suspects. Just to... uh, To make the point that we hear the story that Jesus tells very differently than those people that first heard it. And although we know really, we know that, we need to remind ourselves. Because I don't know whether you noticed as we were reading the text, um, it doesn't mention Good Samaritan, does it? The the heading in your Bible probably says the parable of the Good Samaritan, but of course that's an additional editorial, uh, you know, the editors have put a heading in there. The actual text just says a Samaritan. And uh, as we said when when we were talking with the youngsters, uh, they would have recognised straight away, as the story was being told, that that was the bad guy. And uh, we just need to remind ourselves that and, and bear that in mind as, uh, as we think about uh, this parable that Jesus told. Uh, Fred um, Craddock, in, uh, in his uh, comments on, on Luke, says this, Remember that the, this man who delayed his journey... Uh, expended great energy, risked danger to himself, spent two days' wages with the assurance of more, was ceremonially unclean, socially an outcast, and religiously a heretic. This is a profile not easily matched. It isn't good enough to say it's like a Blackburn Rovers supporter stopping and helping a Burnley fan. The hatred between the Jews and the Samaritans went much further than that. Sadly, we still see remnants of that in the conflict between Israel and Palestine today. And I don't know about you, but I find it hard to understand that level of hatred that one set of people could have for another. But the people that Jesus was talking to understood it completely because it was part of who they were. And so it's important as, uh, as we go through this parable that we just remind ourselves and remember uh, the significance of Jesus introducing a Samaritan into the story. And also we need to uh, remember that this story is told uh, in the middle of a conversation that Jesus has um, with an expert of the law. That's where the parable comes from. An expert in the law stood up And notice what he stood up to do, to test Jesus. This expert of the law is wanting to score points. He's wanting to catch Jesus out. He's not really wanting to uh, hear Jesus' wonderful teaching or, or, or discover some wisdom. He's setting a trap as often the Pharisees and teachers of the law did. And, uh... It's important to recognise that the parable of the Good Samaritan is told within a conversation. A conversation about uh, what a person must do to inherit eternal life. And Jesus, as he often does, he turns the question back on the person. And he says, you know, uh, what is written in the law? How do you read it? That's an interesting phrase, isn't it? How do you read it? How do you read it? And of course the... uh, 
the, uh, the teacher, the expert in the law, gives uh, what is believed to be a common response. You know, he answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbour and yourself. And it's interesting to know how Jesus replies when he gives the correct answer. He says, you've answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. And straight away, even before Jesus begins on the parable, he introduces the idea that somebody could be very familiar with the law and the teachings and even be able to give correct answers to questions about the law. But unless you do it and live it, it's not much use. And you know, I come across plenty of people who, uh, who have a great understanding of the Bible. Uh, but if they don't know Jesus... And they don't actually live it in their lives. That understanding of the Bible is not really helping them. And uh, this is the situation that Jesus tells this wonderful parable in. It's in this conversation about what somebody has to do to inherit eternal life. And about actually living it. And the difference between head knowledge and uh, heart knowledge. Actually knowing uh, what it's like to live out the law. And again... The, uh, the expert in the law, uh, wanting to justify himself. I like the way the message version puts it, looking for a loophole, they have it, I think. Looking for a loophole. Says, oh, and who is my neighbour? And let's not, you know, let's not think that this expert in the law doesn't think that he knows the answer to this question as well. He thinks... He knows exactly who his neighbour is. And again, he's trying to, he's baiting Jesus. He's actually baiting Jesus to say something outrageous that will get him into trouble with the other teachers of the law because they knew exactly who their neighbour was. And it certainly wasn't the Samaritan. And so this is the context that we hear our, the parable, and it's just worth reminding ourselves of the context uh, of the parable. And the parable of the Good Samaritan, it's a great story, isn't it? And uh, in, in the story, what we do is we see uh, three different attitudes towards people in need. Or we might want to say two, uh, three different attitudes uh, to what it means to actually love your neighbour as yourself. The first attitude is one that we're very familiar with. Keeping my distance. Keeping my distance. This was... The attitude, really, of the priest and the Levites. A lifestyle of avoidance. When we're living that way, what we do is we tell ourselves, don't get too close to people. Don't get too close to Keep people at arm's length. Keep relationships superficial. If we keep everyone at arm's length, we won't have to get involved and we won't get hurt. It's a lovely story, I don't know if you've heard it, about an old man standing on a crowded bus. And a young man standing next to him says, you know, what time is it? And the man completely blanks him, he says nothing. And the young man walks away. The old man's friend says, why were you so rude to that young man? He just wanted to know the time. The old man answered, look, if I gave him the time of day, he'd want to know where I was going and then we'd get into a conversation. I might actually find that I like the man. If I get into a conversation and I find I don't like the man, I might find myself inviting him home for a meal. If he comes home for a meal, he'll meet my beautiful daughter. 
If he meets my beautiful daughter, he'll probably fall in love with her. If he falls in love with her, he'll probably want to get married to her. I don't want my daughter marrying a man that can't even afford to buy a watch. <laughs> we live in a world, don't we, where people want to keep the distance. We've all stood in, in buses and, and, and trains and uh, nobody, nobody talks to each other, do they? You might have somebody almost there and you actually make no communication with them whatsoever, do you? We live in, this is a society that we live in. Where we live in Stockport at the moment, it's actually quite a posh road. The church is on the manse for, uh, forever and a day. It probably wasn't a posh road when they, uh, when they first bought it. But I can go for, for weeks without actually seeing the neighbours. They drive in in the big Range Rovers, uh, shut the gates. And uh, I can go for a week without even seeing anybody, let alone speaking to them. And this is, this is the, the environment that we live in, isn't it? In recent years, uh, uh, people, sociologists, have, have, have coined a phrase called cocooning. I don't know if you've come across it. It's an increasing desire of, uh, to isolate ourselves from other people. Um, we bank online, we communicate through email, we can shop online, we can uh, even drive up to a, a McDonald's and, and, and get a meal straight into our car. Um, we, when we finally do use the phone, we end up talking to an automated system. Uh, cocooning, you know, keeping... No, no contact with anybody in the outside world. Keeping a distance. And this was the attitude of the first two characters. Keeping my distance. And then there's curious but uninvolved. Curious but uninvolved. You see, the priest and the, and the Levite, they saw what was going on. They couldn't help but miss it. The guy laid out on the road. They were curious. But they didn't get involved. Have you ever been stuck on the motorway? And, uh, you know, you, you, the traffic's absolutely standstill and you can be stuck for ages and you're wondering what it is. And you eventually, this starts to clear and you realise there's an accident on the other side and all the traffic's been slowing down to have a look. Nobody's going to stop and get out and get involved and offer any help. They're just stopping to look. We're curious, aren't we? Uh, but uninvolved. And this is the world that we live in. We're very curious about people, don't we? Uh, if you go into any news agent, you'll find all sorts of magazines that take you into the homes of the rich and the famous. We're very curious about people, uh, but we like to keep our distance, uninvolved. Curious, but uninvolved. Uh, we recognise that in the priest and the Levite, and we recognise it in our society, and we recognise it in ourselves. But it's the third attitude that I really want us to think about. And that was, of course, the attitude uh, displayed by the Good Samaritan, going out of your way... To help. Going out of your way to help. And uh, there's certain steps that you have to take, isn't there? If you're going to go out of your way um, to help. And I just want to think of four things that the Samaritan did. uh, That the priest and the Levite didn't do. First of all, it's about seeing the needs. Seeing the needs of people around us. Kindness always begins with the eyes. Uh, We have to see the need. You can't care until you're aware. You can't care until you are aware. And the Bible tells us that all three men saw the guy in need. All three saw. In some way, they're ahead of some of us because sometimes we don't even recognise the need in people, do we? We can walk past people without even seeing that there's a need. It can happen. It can happen in the world and it can even happen in the church. 
As a minister, I've had lots of people saying to me, nobody noticed. Nobody noticed. It happens. We have to hold our hands up. Seeing the need is what the, uh, the Good Samaritan did. Why don't we see the need? Because we're so busy. We live busy lives. We're busy people. We're in a hurry. Even when we come into the church, there's, there's a sense of that we're busy, aren't we? We're doing stuff. Uh, we're doing this and we're doing that and we're in a hurry. And uh, we want to do as much as we can. Cram as much as we can. We're doing it for God, but we're still in a hurry. Could it just possibly be that we're so busy being church that we miss the needs of the people around us? Could it so possibly be that we're so busy doing Alpha and Bible studies and goodness know what? Good things, great things. I'm not knocking them, they're good things. But could it be that we get so busy that we fall into that trap, we keep our distance because we're busy doing God's stuff and we don't see the needs. And when the lonely, the bereaved, the sad walk into the church, we pass them by because we're busy. Doing the Lord's business. The Samaritan stops. That's what you have to do, isn't it? To help people to stop. You have to stop. You have to slow down. We travel everywhere by car, don't we? You know, every now and again what I like to do is just walk about the community that I'm ministering in. Because you see so much more. You can drive. I can drive from my house to the church. It takes about five minutes unless I'm going in Russia and it took about half an hour but, um, but if I walk I see so much more you see people you meet people you greet people you get involved in, in the community that you live in and that's what the Samaritan did he saw the need he saw it and he stopped we need to sometimes readjust our spiritual radars to make sure that we're aware of just who's around us and then the second step uh, sympathising with the pain. You see, it's not enough, enough just to see, uh, but you've actually got to sympathise. It says in, uh, in Luke that uh, when he saw him, he took pity on him. Saw him, but he also took pity on him. Had to get over the prejudices that he might have held. The assumptions about the situation and the predicament that this man was in. Samaritans and Jews, as we mentioned, they hated one another. Jesus making the Samaritan the hero of the story, it was an absolute shocker. We must begin to see people around us as Jesus sees them. The homeless person matters to God. That obnoxious person in your place of work actually matters to God. That annoying member of your family that is very hard and difficult to love actually matters to God. People matter to God. And if we want to be true servants, they have to matter to us as well. It's so easy, isn't it, to be judgmental. I don't know if you've read um, an excellent book. I've recommended it in a number of places, The Shack. Anybody read it? If you haven't read it, this is the book to read in 2009. This is the book that people are going to be talking about. And uh, I don't want to spoil it to you, but very quick synopsis. There's a, there's a guy, it's a bit of a kind of a Job-like uh, story. A guy that has a tragedy, 
and um, has a message from God and God wants to meet him in the shack which was a place of the tragedy and he goes along and he meets not only God but Jesus and the Holy Spirit and they have this wonderful conversation it opens up all sorts of interesting questions um, but at one point um, God gets uh, Matt to sit in the judgment seat and he's a bit wary about this sitting in the judgment seats and God says to him well Matt you're used to judging you make all sorts of judgments about people and Matt says yeah but most of those judgments about people I don't care about and, uh, and what God says to him, it says, judging requires that you think of yourself superior over the one that you judge. I like that. When we make a judgment about somebody, we're actually saying, I know better than you. I'm better than you. I can make a judgment about you. And we put ourselves in a place, and sometimes we actually do it with God, don't we? That's a scary bit. Sometimes we actually do it with God. We think, we imagine that we could uh, run the world better than God because we don't like what God's doing. And I quite like that phrase. Judging requires that you think of yourself superior over the one that you judge. Mac uh, gets a message and he can't get out of the judgment seat quick enough. He says, I don't want to be involved in any sort of judgment. Uh, but read the book, it's a great read. But that's what we find in the, in the, uh, the story of the Good Samaritan. Uh, the judgment that people had on people, that Jews were far superior to Samaritans. Let's not kid ourselves that we don't make similar judgments about people. That sometimes we don't think Christians are far superior than non-Christians. And the particular kind of Christian that we are is uh, superior over the particular kind of Christian that somebody else is. That somehow our spirituality is more spiritual than somebody else's. We make judgments all the time. The Good Samaritan is able to get over that. And he sympathises with the pain of the person. Sympathises with the pain. Doesn't see a Jew. He sees somebody in trouble. And he helps. Sympathising with the pain. And then he seizes the moment. He seizes the moment. You see, we can see the need, we can sympathise with somebody's pain, but this is the important point. This is what Jesus was talking about with the, uh, with the law, with the, with the teacher of the law, when he said, you know, do this and you will live. Do this. I don't know about you, most of the time I know what, what the right thing to do is. It's not a problem. It's doing it that's an actual problem. It's doing the right thing that is the hard bit. Seizing the moment. The Samaritan takes action. You see, love Valentine's Day yesterday. Great day to, uh, to propose to somebody. <laughs> uh, or to take your, your loved one out for a, a romantic meal. But you know, love is not just about a feeling, is it? It's not just a feeling, it's an action. We demonstrate our love by how we treat people. We demonstrate our love of God and of our fellow man by how we treat them. It's not just a fuzzy feeling, it's about how we treat people. And the thing is about seizing the moment is the Samaritan was willing to be interrupted. I don't know about you, but most opportunities for service actually come as an interruption. And I've got to hold my hand up and say, sometimes I've been too busy. Those people that turn up who are destitute, who are, who are really in problem, really in trouble, very often turn up at the church door at the worst possible moment and do some really important ministry. Happened to me only a few weeks ago. I was dropping my kids off at church. And uh, as I drove up to the church, they were going to the youth club, I saw this lady on the street and I know this lady. And boy, as she caused me problems. She's been in the church 
and uh, she's been in a church where she's high on drugs or dr- drink or whatever and I haven't been able to get out of place she can become incredibly violent and abusive and I saw her and my heart sank I said to my daughters just get into church as quick as you can and I thought I'm not getting involved <laughs> I'm getting out of here but I'm thinking I can't just leave the poor youth workers with a problem so I just wait till the youth workers arrive thinking I'm just going to warn them there's a lady out of the street she's trying to get some money off a bloke so she's, she might not come here but she may as the kids the next lot of kids come in she's there in the line in between them I said hey what are you doing she says I want to see in char- who's in charge I want, to, I want to speak to the person in charge I said I'm in charge I said I'm the minister I said, there's a youth group and you're too old, get out. <laughs> very Christian of me, very endearing of me. I didn't say that really. I, I, said, I knew that uh, I needed to get her out of the building. And I said to the, I said, I'll, you know, I'll make you a sandwich. I said, but you need to wait outside. I said, we've got a youth club, we've got child protection issues, you need to get outside, you can't be in this youth club. Uh, after about 20 minutes, I managed to coax her outside. I virtually had to take the food outside to coax her outside. As soon as she was outside, I shut the door. I phoned the uh, new folks and said, whatever you do, don't open the door again because I'm not coming back. As I'm getting into my car, she's virtually grabbing hold of my car and banging on the windows. And I drive away. As I'm driving away, because uh, my wife's going to work in 20 minutes, didn't mention that. And she needs the car. All sorts of justifications. As I'm driving away, I'm thinking, Richard, I don't think you handle that situation as Jesus would have done. And it hit me like a rock. It really did. And I thought, next time I meet that woman, I'm going to be a little, try to be a little bit more like Jesus. Fortunately for me, isn't God gracious, she turned up just about a week ago at church, knocked at the door. Instead of thinking, oh no, here's a problem, I thought, great, here's an opportunity to get it right. I invited her in. I made her a sandwich. I even gave her some money. And uh, she was no problem at all. She was happy. And as she's going out the door, she says, God bless you. Gosh. That, that really got me because uh, it was like a reminder to me about seizing the moments. And we all, we've all had similar experiences where we know we've missed an opportunity to serve God. Where we've missed an opportunity to actually be Jesus to somebody. And uh, sometimes God in his grace gives us opportunities to actually put it right. And that was my experience, and I'm sure it was yours. Seizing the moment. That's what the Samaritan does in this story. He seizes the moment, he sees the man, and he acts. And he ministers to him. In order to seize the moment, we have to be willing to take the risk. Allowing that woman into the church is taking a risk. She has got violent. She can be an absolute pain in the backside. Uh, It's a a risk of actually being involved with difficult people. That's what Jesus calls us to be, risk takers, seizing the moment. Will we be willing to be interrupted? And then finally, oh, just, just to mention, you know, it just happened, didn't it? A priest happened to be going down the same road. This is, you know, it's that, it's that just happening. And the way that we respond, you know, that phrase, what would Jesus do, isn't a bad phrase. You don't have to wear it on your wristband. You can just wear it in your heart. You know, what would Jesus do? Seize the moment. And then, of course, spend whatever it takes. Um, the Good Samaritan, it cost him to help this person. There was a cost involved. It cost him time and energy, but also money. He paid the innkeeper and he said, if there's anything else, put it on my slate. Put it on my slate. As we're going through these ideas, you know, spend whatever it takes. 
uh, sympathise with people. Uh, I don't know about you, but I can't help um, but thinking, you know, it wasn't very hard, the question that, G- that Jesus put to the teacher of the law, was it? Which of these three do you think was a neighbour? We go back into that conversation. It started off as a conversation and we go back into that conversation. Which of these three do you think was a neighbour? Duh. But do you notice that the teacher of the law, you can almost imagine the situation, can't you? Which one was it? It was a the man who had mercy on him. Can't even bring himself to say the word Samaritan. The one who had mercy on him. And uh, what does Jesus say? Go and do likewise. Go and do. That's the challenge that Jesus gives us, isn't it? To actually go and do. Do. And the question that as, as a church and as individuals we have to ask ourselves is that same question, you know, who is our neighbour? Without falling into the trap of... Uh, wanting to ask that question to justify ourselves but actually genuinely think who are our neighbours? Who are the people uh, in this locality that actually are in need of our help? That we could actually minister to? That we could actually make a difference? Go and do likewise. We're called to go not to stay. We're the people that are called to go. Do a little Bible study on how many times Jesus used that phrase go. And what do we do? We stay. We like gathering together, it's great, isn't it? Somebody once, you know, likened uh, a group of Christians to, uh, to fertiliser. The problem is when they, when they gather together and don't do anything and just left in the, in the corner of the room, it starts to stink a little bit. It's only when you spread it out that it starts to make a difference, isn't it? Uh, we're called to go and to do likewise. And as we look at the, the, this Samaritan and we see the attributes and the things that he did, uh, we can't help but be thinking that uh, there's something at stake here, isn't there? And uh, Tom Wright says this, What is at stake then and now is the question of whether we'll use the God-given revelation of love and grace as our way of boosting our own sense of isolation, security and purity, or whether we will see it as a call and a challenge to extend that love and grace to the whole world. No church, no Christian can remain content with easy definitions which allow us to watch most of the world lying half dead in the road. Today's preachers and defenders of the gospel must find fresh ways of telling the story of God's love which will do for our day what this brilliant parable did for Jesus' first hearers. Four steps to serving. Spend whatever it takes. The thing about Jesus, he didn't just tell stories, did he? He actually lived out the message in the stories himself because Jesus saw the needs of the people around him and he still does. Jesus sympathises with the pain and agony of people. Not only that, he entered into the pain and agony of people. He seized the moment, talks about this, the time has come. The kingdom of God is near. This was the moment. And of course, he was willing to spend his life. He gave his life in service to others. And he was talking to his uh, disciples in, uh, in John chapter 15. He says this, My commandment is this, 
Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. And we might want to add our neighbours. And this is what we celebrate, isn't it? The fact that we have a God who entered into our world, who saw the need, who sympathised with our condition, who seized the moment on the cross, spent his life. As we just uh, stop and pause, in a few moments we're going to gather around the table and remind ourselves what Jesus did for us. But before we do that, we're just going to uh, play a song that reminds us that there is no greater love, that there is no greater life than the one that Jesus has given and called us to. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you for giving us a clear picture of what a servant is like. We don't want to be distant or apathetic people. We want to be more loving and more caring. Help us to take the steps towards developing a servant's heart. Help us to slow down and to see the needs and sense the needs of people around us. Help us to be better listeners so that we can sympathise with people. And when interruptions come, help us to see them as God-given opportunities to serve. Help us to be willing to take risks and move against our fears in order to help others. Starting today, let's make ourselves available to show God's amazing love, kindness and grace and forgiveness. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.